Hi, and welcome to the Burlap Podcast. Burlap exists to help churches reach emerging generations like millennials and Gen Z. I'm Chris Abel, and I am the young adult pastor at Church of the Resurrection, and also a Burlap contributor. I write blogs and provide you know feedback on this podcast. And with me today, Chris Fomsby, and I'm the president of Burlap. I spend my time also at Church of the Resurrection, where I oversee discipleship, adult discipleship, and then, of course, where I get the chance to uh, help provide content and training and research and consulting to churches around North America as we help them reach Generation Z and Millennials. So we are excited about today's podcast. We are going to be talking about generations. Obviously, this is kind of the focus of our podcast. But today, specifically, we're going to start with a story about uh, intergenerational interaction. And we're going to talk uh, then about the myth of uh, millennials will come back to church when they have kids, just like I did. You know, Sometimes this is a story we tell. And then we'll end today with our weekly one step. And so uh, I'll start off by saying, just sharing a little bit. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I invite, got invited to our church's uh, men's morning uh, gathering, Bible study, get together, disciple, you know, fellowship thing. And it's a bunch of uh, boomers and a few Gen X guys and probably 50 guys in this room. And they actually took the initiative to invite millennial guys to come and share a little bit uh, at this, at this, um, you know, this morning gathering. And which was kind of a huge compliment. It was really cool to, I feel like so often, you know, that doesn't happen. You know, I feel, uh, that millennials aren't often asked, and I feel personally, and I, I think there's probably you know evidence of this out there. I don't get asked for my opinion well, a lot by older generations. Well, I think on this particular case, you know, what, what makes it uh, helpful to them is a lot of these guys have kids that are millennials, right? And so they're trying to go help me understand this generation. And I think it really, truly was. And I know most of these guys, so I can speak to this. It really, truly was a, a sincere and very generous invitation to say, "We want to learn from you." And I think that's. Soup, you know, if if churches are gonna uh, navigate these uh, tumultuous times, if you will, there's gonna have to be some listening that takes place and some invitation, like the this group gave you to come and say, help us understand, you know, give us some feedback, give us some some of the challenges that you're facing, also give us some of the things that you enjoy doing. How do we connect with you? So I think that's what it was about, and I, I know that you've said this to me numerous times, like. I've heard, or I've heard you say in other presentations or, you know, uh, situations where you're teaching on this and you've said things like, well, man, I often don't feel like there is a uh, step towards me in learning. And I think uh, this was a great way to uh, for you to, to feel like encouraged yeah. and, and positive. So what was the experience like? Well, I'll start at the end of it. I, you know, the whole thing ended with them praying over me which is and, and ministry to young adults, which was so cool to mm. see this group of men literally taking their morning, raising their hands, praying over Early morning, a generation. Early morning, <laughs> yeah. Praying over a generation, a younger generation, uh, which was super encouraging. And uh, so it became, you know, I shared a little bit of my story, and then it became a and a And so I wanted to share a little bit about the Q&A or about what we were talking about, is there's a feeling, uh, you know, on both sides of the generations, a feeling like a disconnect. Uh, and... I think one of the realizations, and I've shared this before on the podcast that I've made recently, is that boomers and older generations, that uh, that they feel a little, you know, forgotten or dismissed. That feelings, more feelings, are involved than just you know generations, generational gap. That these are human beings, and the generational gaps come from emotional responses to different people in different age categories. And so it's not something as simple as, you know, the data or generations that, you know, we've kind of arbitrarily made up. 
that what really what's going on is emotions are evolved. And so uh, I've found that, you know, boomers uh, feel dismissed. And, and I, and I shared that with this group of guys and they kind of nodded along and, you know, and, <laughs> and I shared the story of uh, one of our coworkers whose um, grandkids play video games. And he says, I don't care about video games. You know, they don't care about my stuff. I don't care about video games. <laughs> And, uh, and so I, I shared this, this idea and, and part of the problem is that the older generations feel, um, disrespected and forgotten. Younger generations don't feel loved and feel like they've kind of gotten the, you know, the short end of the stick. And so they, they, they just drive further apart. Like these perceptions just drive these generations even further apart. And you think some of that is we live in a data world as opposed to understanding the uniqueness of individuals. Oh man, I don't know. I think part of it comes from uh, that you don't you don't you don't really have to be friends with other generations, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't have I don't hang out with my grandpa, and he doesn't reach out towards me, and I don't reach out towards him because I kind of feel have this perception that he should reach out towards me, you know. And so everybody's waiting for each other to reach yeah. out. Yeah, and so that's that's a microcosm of the larger story, I think, and so. Um, and so these guys were responding, but it was funny because this one guy kind of raised his hand and he said, I've tried this in my own grandkids life. And he says, you know, there was this, this kid and he was playing video games. And I sat with him on the couch and you know what? The first time I did it, he ignored me. He just kept playing his games. And the second time I did it, he ignored me. And he said, the third time I did it though, he started talking to me and showing me his game. And I started connecting with my grandson. And we used that as an example. And we talked about how sometimes when we have this division that happens that, that the older generation actually you know the impetus is on them to kind of reach down and love on this younger generation and uh you know i don't think we talk about it enough and i think some of these guys just needed almost kind of like a like a prodding yeah like a prodding or an encouragement to say like it's you're not gonna be rejected this is this is actually something you could and should do right and they responded really positively to it and what were some of the other questions like what was what were the driving would you say questions that this that generates this primarily boomers had about uh, millennials? Yeah, I think there was questions about uh, how to understand motive and drive, and I was explaining that you know we don't think millennials don't have the same drive to get you know to the house and two point five kids and so the, crushing know. some of the stereotypes. Yeah, maybe. so some of the stereotypes. Um, they were asking a little bit about technology and I was sharing about loneliness too. And they were surprised by that. And so I was sharing, you know, like you you don't realize that statistically right now, like data shows that millennials are the loneliest generation. So you think that we're fine and we're off our own, we have our walls up, but the the truth is like, we're hungry for real relationship. We're hungry for friendship. Did they ask many questions about faith and religion and how millennials see the church yeah well part of it was more practical things like you know how come they're not coming to our services or how come uh they ask we have a particular service right now where there's generational conflict where we're kind of bringing in young millennial worship leaders in a setting that's designed more for boomers and so there's been a little bit of tension there and they brought up questions about that service and what i was what i was saying is that um for a millennial to walk into our church that it feels like it's not meant for them you know they look around and it looks like you know people look different different stages of life the service isn't really designed around their preferences and so they are actually humbled by that and some people said you know i didn't realize um 
you know, how much my, I was putting my preferences first. Wow. So that was an interesting conversation yeah, that emerged cool. too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So when you were talking to these guys and they were asking these questions, like you, t- you mentioned earlier about how you felt kind of honored by it in some ways that the invitation was even like granted to yeah. you to come and show up. What were some of the takeaways though? Like what were some of the things you left going, man, like these are the misses. These are still the things that like pistons aren't firing or whatever. Like, you know, if, if the church is going to figure this out, these are the big areas that need to get talked about even further. What was some of those things for you, do you think? Well, one of the questions they asked me, this was actually kind of surprising. They said, are you going to get more of a platform to talk about these issues? And my response was, <clears throat> no, <laughs> is, you know, I'm, I'm part of a bigger system and I'm happy to be a voice that is a, you know, a drum beater of support for the emerging generations. But, uh, they were, su- they were surprised. They think this is this, these older guys were, they think this is an important issue that needs to be talked about more publicly, which is another thing I thought was really cool. And that perhaps we need to make more, you know, maybe we can partner in discipleship and create a, you know, an offering to talk about generational and invite different generations to come together. One of the things I notice when I visit churches or talk with leaders, I spent, uh, last week, uh, I spent a couple hours on a Skype conference with a church and they were asking questions related to, how do we connect with this generation? How do we figure out ways to engage them, meaning provide something that's compelling enough for them to attend our worship services? Do you think it starts with the worship services? Or like, what are some other ways that you think we could, as churches, engage millennials in the community without necessarily saying, come to our weekend worship service, whether that's a Saturday night service, Sunday services, both, whatever that yeah. might be. What what are some things that jump off the top of your head? You go, no, it doesn't have to be worship. Or is that the best place to start? In some churches, that's what they have. Yeah. And this particular church was like, well, we have a weekend worship service. And it's like, well, what are some other ways that you can do things? May, you know, one of the things I'm working on is developing a financial course for millennials to help them basically manage the college debt that many of them have. Amen. And so they have, you know, we've said this before, I think even on this podcast, that there's greater debt and they're making less money than their boomer parents did. Yeah. And so trying to navigate that. So, But we're trying to take that course into public spaces, libraries, community colleges, places where we can invite people without it having to be church. So Talk yeah. about that for a minute. Like, talk about just some things that you are sensing that might be some ways which churches that are listening, leaders, could begin to develop ideas and rally leaders around, cast a vision, and then go and, and try to try to truly connect with millennials in this way. And, and Gen Z, for that matter. I mean, I think we talk a lot about millennials, but it's not long before Gen Z is going to be right there. They are, but I'm saying even, even quicker, more quickly right. than we realize. Well, I think in some ways... You know, we can't dismiss weekend services entirely because it's low-hanging fruit. And you will have a segment of millennials. I mean, most millennials are still Christians. We, even though they have a large, you know, statistically a larger portion of them are not, not attending. Um, we have a lot, there's a lot of people out there who are looking for churches. And so, you know, what I've found is there's still a lot of people that come and they've been, che- they're checking things out. Now, they may not stick. They might come once. And so that's where the weekend services matter. Like if it, if it has an opportunity to get information about connecting, you know, there are some people that come through that way. But a lot of people I'm finding in our, especially in my young adult ministry, 
are coming through personal invitation that they've maybe even not even been to the church service. And so they're coming to connect because they're looking for relationships, they're looking for some connection. And um, while it can be hard to start a young adult ministry, um, once you get the ball rolling, it starts to, people start to invite other people. And so I think even though, you know, I think it's genius to go into the community, um, you know, the alpha program, I mm -hmm. mentioned it once in a while because I visited England and went to Holy Trinity Brompton and saw what they were doing. And their alpha program brings in like 400 uh, young adults every time they do it. And right. they're like new young adults. They're not the same and people. And that's in their church. And that's in their church. Mm -hmm. uh, but they make it cool and hip yeah, and, right, you know, right. Uh, like seriously, it's really cool to go to. And they have 20 plus years of branding alpha throughout mm -hmm. London. And so that helps just with the awareness. I'm not saying that's right. the reason they're coming. I'm saying it helps. And I think, you know, the art of the long view is just because we mention alpha and you go and do it doesn't mean you're going to have 400 people right. showing up. And we, we do alpha and the average age is not, you know, 22, right. like, like it is in London. Um, and so I don't know, my, 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 my feelings are, you know, worship matters, and that if a church isn't willing to change things and they're weak in worship, then that's usually a sign that they're not willing to change things in a lot of different places. Right. You know? What if you're sitting there and you're listening to this podcast and you're a pastor or church leader and you're saying, I'd love to change it. I can't change it overnight. What are some of the things that I could do immediately? Because when I was listening to you just a few moments ago, I mean, really... The core of what you were saying is really not changed. Personal invitation yeah. and relationships. So what could a church that has, let's say there's 100 people showing up on a Sunday. I don't know what the average size church is in America today, but I'm guessing it's around 100. It might be dipping around 85 or so. I'm not exactly yeah. sure. I haven't seen the stats in a while. And I know it changes. And with the decline of church attendance, who knows where it is today. But those are things that are common in every walk of life, right? Like personal invitation, relationships. So why is it so hard for churches then to see that and to change accordingly or to notice things that maybe are broken that they need to fix? Um, I was talking to a church that said, we're willing to do everything except change our weekend worship. And I'm like, well, that's the only thing you have, which means you're really not willing to do anything. Wow. And, you know, it wasn't that blunt. It was kind of nuanced and coded, but that's kind of what it, they were saying. And it was like, well, what can you do? Like, you can be hospitable. You can you can recognize that millennials want a conversation, too. Just because someone's 28 years old and dressed differently than you doesn't mean you shouldn't walk up to them in the, in the lobby, narthex, vestibule, whatever word you use of your church and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. It's glad to have you here, right? So what about that? Like, what if you are sitting there and you're like, man, I would love to implement some things now, but I can't make change that quickly to reach millennials. What, what are some things that you've learned about these personal limitations and relationships that you think could stick, to use your word earlier? Yeah, well, I, you know, I've seen churches of all different traditions and styles work with millennials well and not well. And it, it the, the, you know, one uh, I was talking to a, a young adult director, and um, I think she's in the Nashville area. She's an extremely traditional church. There is no contemporary worship, and uh, they have a thriving young adult ministry. And uh, these and it's, people are coming to a traditional service, so this goes against all of the data out there, right? right? right. Like you don't have to fit the mold. You don't have to go with where you know what the, what the statistics say out there about millennials. Um, 
But you know what? Those like that church has taken time and energy to make sure that it develops and has someone who's responsible for developing young adult ministry. Now that might not be the answer either, either to like fundraise for a young adult volunteer or whatever. But it comes down to um, a message that you're loved and thought of, and that people are thinking about and designing things around your generation. Mm. And uh, it can be so lonely to come into a church as a 25 year old and look around and there's no one there your age. But if the pastor is not, not creepily. So like sometimes, this is like, but, 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 uh, friendly and attentive and, uh, has a vision for helping reach younger generations. I mean, part of it comes from heart, right? Is that what happens is in our churches, we, 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 we get so overwhelmed with the week to week operations. Right. And in some, our seminaries teach people, um, if you're part of a denomination where, you know, you have seminary involved, uh, we teach people that the role of a pastor is academic and you're supposed to spend, you know, so many hours a week writing this sermon to educate people. But we forget that the, 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 the Christian life is not about, you know, digesting an intellectual, um, you know, lesson. That's part of it. You should learn and grow, but there's a part of it that's heart and relationship and church. The, the, the word church literally means gathering. And we forget that. We think that it means service. It's not a service. It's people who are gathered together. Right. And so I think dramatically, what needs to dramatically change in church culture today is this is about relationships and people growing together towards God. And what we do is we create we write sermons and we do funerals and we do weddings and that is not what church is meant to be. And so how do you create and carve out space for your own heart to get passionate about these things and to develop community and relationships? Seminaries aren't teaching people how you create community, right? Well, some it, might be. We're not aware of all Okay, seminaries. well, yeah, never mind. <laughs> but I just imagine that like a lot of Christian education teaching of le- like leadership training is um, very much about uh, you know, ideas and not about how you guide human interaction. And I understand, I, th- I think I understand why that is. And I, I'm not making an excuse for it. And I want to shift gears here in a minute. But just to kind of finish this up, I, I do think that there is a genuine passion to grow our churches for the right reason. The intentions are, we're going to try to bring a gathering of people together who are going to live on mission, right, to participate with God to restore the world towards its intended wholeness. And I think in an effort to do that, we're trying to do whatever it takes in some ways. And we're desperate. Most churches that I speak with are like, we don't know what to do. We've tried everything. Now, any time anybody says we've tried everything, that's <laughs> just not the case. Yeah. But they've tried a lot of things. Or they think it means we've exhausted ourselves. Right. And I think what I'm trying to say is that it always, always comes back to people and relationships. Mm-hmm. And so maybe the best tactic a church might take, if tactic is the right word, maybe it isn't, is to change their approach about how they treat people and how they welcome people. You know, even if you can't change your service, even if the only person that you have to play music is the pianist that's been there for 35 years, right? You still can change the way you interact with people around that service. And I think that's one of the missing links is that we're going to change the service. And what happens is the data freaks everybody out, right? right? Pew says this, and you know this article says this, and I read this blog post and it says this. And really what I want to do is level all that and say, those are important things, no doubt. That's, that's the real deal. 
Pew's doing great research and helping us see what's trending in the U.S. as it relates to religious affiliation and participation. But at the same time, let's not let that drive our entire makeup or composition as it relates to getting back to what it's really all about, loving people. And can it be that simple? I mean, what do you think? Is it really that simple? I mean, I think there's some, you know, other things involved. <laughs> well, but if course. you don't have that, right. You know, you're 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 I mean, you're just going to run out of steam at the least. Like, you know, you've got to know the why. It's I feel like it's you know, I've never been married, but I feel like I can see this a million miles away when, you know, when a, when I see a couple who's just forgotten why they ever fell in love in the first place, right? Yeah. And I feel that way about pastors in their churches sometimes. Is I just like my heart breaks for pastors who are exhausted. And they forgot what brought them in the ministry in the first place. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, well, we could go on and on on yeah. that segment, and I think it's an important thing. We'll return to it again, I'm sure, in future podcasts. But let's talk specifically now about this myth. We hear this a lot. It's kind of this—well, we're calling it a myth. I mean, maybe some people out there may not think it's a myth, but based on some of the data that we've seen from Pew, again, it's not causing us to freak out or live in fear. It's just we're looking at this data to try to make sense of connecting with millennials and Generation Z. There's this myth that, well, just like I did, you'll you'll leave the church for a while in your early 20s to late 20s. You'll get married. You'll have kids. And then eventually you'll make your way back to the church. Can you say that today? And have it be accurate in today's context. So this actually came up with that group of guys that we were talking about earlier. And uh, and one of them said it straight in front of the group. They said, well, you know, I drifted for a while too. And so I think the perception is like, well, because I drifted from the church and then came back, this is just what happens when you're in your 20s. And so sometimes that's the excuse that's used for why millennials aren't in the church. And there's a little bit of truth to it. But when you and I were talking earlier and we were looking up the uh, Pew data here, and uh, sometimes when we compare data, it can be with current generational perspectives. So a 60-year-old compared to a 20-year-old. But we have data going back to show when that 60-year-old was a 20-year-old, how do they think compared to 20-year-olds today? And so one of those... um, one of those charts that we have here is uh, with religious affiliation. And so uh, if you look at what boomers born from 1946 to 1964, 13% of boomers were religiously unaffiliated. So didn't have any affiliation with religion, didn't go to church. Uh, What we find is in Gen X between 1965 and 1980, uh, when they were 20 or when they were, I'm sorry, I don't know what age exactly here, but when they were younger, they uh, 20%, so it went from 13% to 20%, and now millennials are at 26% uh, unaffiliated. So we've gone from 13% to 26%. We've doubled, doubled. the number of, of people who are religiously unaffiliated. And that's not just a drift and come back. That's that's just the hard data about whether or not they're sticking to the church. Or whether or not they <clears throat> are even affiliated with the church to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. So like you can't come back to something you've never known. Yeah. Right? And so this is one of the... The questions that I have when I meet with people all the time who say this, it's like, well, you know, this but this is what happens a lot. Kids go to college, they get married, they come back with these kids. It's like, well, they, when you say the words come back, you're assuming that they were originally connected to something that they'd be coming back to. In this case, we're saying that since boomers, Xers, millennials, it's doubled in the percentage of unaffiliated people. 
which means logically if we were to extrapolate that we could say that some kind of growth is going to happen with gen z we don't exactly know will it double will it even if you just add the same amount from generation to generation you know that we're going to get into probably 30 to 32 percent are going to be unaffiliated trending right yeah so how can we continue to live by this myth if the numbers are telling us actually they probably won't come back because more and more of them all the time have never been affiliated with the church in the first place. And that's one of the reasons why I founded Burlap. I founded Burlap because I wanted to help churches not just come up with creative, inspiring ways to uh, help them may, uh, keep or maintain relationship with the millennials and Generation Z that had in their church, but to reach non-religious millennials and Generation Z. Uh, to look at ways to say, how do we create environments where people who have no religious affiliation whatsoever can have a place to explore God? And this is one of the things that we've got to get over, is mm -hmm. this myth. Uh, what are your, some of your thoughts on it that maybe in additionally to the conversation you had with this group of men about this particular thing? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, it's, it's discouraging, right? Because what we're saying is, you you need to look at this and it's not it's not good and but the reason we're talking about this is not to be discouraging the reason right, we're right, talking right. about this is cuz you can't tell yourself a false truth to make yourself feel better like that's just that's just coping with it instead of addressing it and so one of the things we need to address is the fact that if this is happening then what do we need to do and so uh, today i actually this morning i got together with this guy that's been coming to our young adult group and when he was in his 20s he said he was antagonistic to christians and christianity and uh, he said this, this girl came into his life and, and, and introduced him and started having all these conversations about faith and religion. And he said one of the things that attracted to him, uh, attracted him to this, these conversations were that they were, um, they were not pressured, that she embodied um, a compassion and a love that was like contagious and attractive. And so there was something about the way that she, her Christianity em was embodied in her life. That, looked, that was gentle and kind and loving and he he asked her about it and we, this is what this is I, I i think this is such a funny story she said why don't you pray for the holy spirit and so he said he was in his hotel room one night and he prayed for the holy spirit and he said and he felt god actually like his whole body became warm and it was just like this sign and he got freaked out and um and then he ended up uh like pursuing this more and became a christian his whole family are, are actually um, they're they're Asian, and so he uh, they 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 have uh, ancestor worship, and so he has he says they have these big gatherings with fifty people who are worshiping ancestors, and then he's over here praying to the, to Christ, and uh, and just to hear his testimony, I share this because um, this was a guy not when he was thirteen, you know, not who wasn't really like he doesn't come from a Christian family who became Christian because somebody was too attractive too too much light it was it was different somebody they, they had a a countercultural presence and he was he was drawn to it and he wanted he could see it and he says now his biggest way to uh to talk to about christ to his family is his own life is they've seen how he's changed and he says i feel like my life has responsibility now like it matters and so it's so cool to hear that, those kind of stories, right? That the people are still Absolutely. coming to Christ in their 20s and 30s, different points of life, but they don't do it because they're looking to go to church. Yeah, they didn't grow up in a children's ministry. They didn't grow up <clears throat> in a youth ministry, which those are amazingly 
wonderful opportunities. Man, I, I grew up in a youth yeah. group. I had a volunteer youth pastor who spent hours and hours and hours with us. And I, looking back on his name is Tom. He's a pastor now in North Carolina. He was a woodshop teacher at the time, or uh, uh, sorry, a cabinet maker, and also taught me some nice. how to make. But he spent hours and hours. I remember one time this guy stood at underneath the goal of a basketball hoop and rebounded for me for like an hour and a half. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great thing. That that I that I would come back to later in life, yeah. right? The relational connection, uh, the programming, and all that. I don't know that I, that that had made any difference for me, but the time that someone spent with me. So you you have children's ministry, you have youth ministry, and you have these these people, mainly volunteers, who invest hours and hours and hours in the lives of these kids. But what happens if you don't have that? Yeah, right. And that's the story of this this guy you met with this morning, who's going. You know, look, I didn't, I didn't, I'm, I didn't have any experience with the church. All I know is that in my 20s, I met somebody who embodied what I thought Jesus might look like, and I was drawn towards that. And I think that we just need to keep this myth, we'll call it, in front of us and try to figure out what are some ways that we can uh, be faithful and generous to the mission of God, knowing that fewer and fewer people are connected to the church every day. Mm-hmm. This shouldn't freak us out, right? This this shouldn't scare us. I mean, the kingdom of God is never in trouble. It's yeah. yet we have stewardship responsibilities, evangelism responsibilities, discipleship opportunities and responsibilities, and we should figure out ways to do that, like personal relationships, invitations, those types of things. And you know, the good news is, and I, I feel like I I say this a lot, but you know, when things are not desirable. That's when human beings change. When what the, do you mean? the fear of change, like we are afraid of change. So when things are cushy, when things are going fine, we don't change, right? But when things aren't going great, we're, we'll adapt in our lives because the, if the current reality is worse than the fear of change, then you will change. You will try things, right. and that's where the church has gotten to this day. As you've gotten to this point where uh, the you know the current reality for a lot of for a lot of us in our ministries is not looking great which is a perfect opportunity and a chance to try some new things because the, the fear of change is now less than the fear of staying the same. That's well said. I, I, and speaking of change and doing things that help us make that change, I want to finish with our weekly one step. Uh, this is an opportunity new segment where we're going to try to just provide one step or one thing that a pastor or a leader could do to take a step towards better engaging millennials and Generation Z. I have a friend named Marv. He lives in Pittsburgh. He's a a campus pastor at a church in uh, a large uh, Christian Missionary Alliance church called Allegheny Center Alliance. And Wait, that's the whole name? That's very uh, Yeah, it's again? Allegheny Center Alliance Church. It meets downtown Pittsburgh. It's a, it's, a, it's a cool church. I've been there a couple of times, and I've gotten to know Marv. He's one of our authors. He wrote, co-wrote uh, the Mentoring and Millennials book with me, ah. which is at thinkburlap.com. He uh, spent some time, I guess, I don't want to say convincing. He casted some vision with his leadership and said, look, the best way for us to understand how to reach millennials is actually listen to them. So the weekly one step is create an environment to listen to millennials. You go, well, I don't know any. Well, I bet you do. Yeah. Right. You probably work with some, you probably uh, know some in your family. You probably have a few around the church. There's some in your neighborhood, wherever. I'm not saying that you got to pull together, you know, 50 people in your fellowship hall and, and give them a survey. Now that, that might be one way to go about it, but I just want 
people to figure out how can I begin not just reading data from Pew and Barna and Burlap and other places, how can I begin to listen to people's stories? And what can I learn from those stories? And how might the change, change, how might the church, excuse me, change in order to accommodate people's stories? Just listen. Probably the easiest way to do that is just maybe buy people a coffee, buy people dinner, you know, stand outside a pub and say, hey, if you answer a few questions, I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> you know, whatever it might be, like, listen. And we're not very good sometimes at listening. Mm -hmm. And I think that we could be better at that. And part of the reason why we want to be better at that is to truly understand and to take that effort. You mentioned early in this podcast, you know, make a make an effort to reach out to us, right? We should be reaching out to other generations as well, speaking on behalf of millennials, as you mentioned. But I'm saying the church can, in a pretty simple way, have conversations, listen, collect that story, data, and then make the necessary changes. But if you don't commit to at least listening. So Marv in Pittsburgh had a listening night, and they just basically let millennials talk for an hour, hour and a half, and they just listened. And it was a great gesture. One, it honored them. But two, they were able to go, oh, there's some common threads these people are saying yeah. that we might want to change. Now, we have a tool, a congregational segmentation survey tool at Burlap. And we and Marv actually used this tool and identified, you know, they thought that some of the segments that they were reaching in their congregation were segments uh, that we might call traditionalists or skeptics or nostalgics. But really what they found is that they were reaching other segments and this survey helped them to hone in on, after listening, right, it helped them to hone in on who are we actually working with and what are the best ways to reach them. So that might be a next step, but the very first weekly one step is create an environment or environments and just listen. And that can be one-on-one. -on -one. That can be a small group that you invite out to dinner or to your home. Uh, it's asking questions. And that's, that's one thing, you know, I, I have this memory, this woman, um, I, I was part of a small group breakout for this leadership conference. And, uh, this woman who's a boomer, uh, just listened to my story. We each shared a little bit about ourselves and I was in a bad mood and I was just sharing some of my frustrations in life. And she pulled me aside afterwards. And after listening to the story, she said, I just want to apologize for what my generation has done to the church. And it blew me away, the humility in the way in which she like heard me. Like she actually heard me and uh, I realized like I, f I feel heard very rarely as a millennial. And so that was a powerful thing. And so this listening, you know, it's a way of building relationships, but it's also, a, you know, you can listen to this podcast, but really, you know, the, the best people you can listen to are the people in your congregation or in your orbit. You know, you might have uh, grandkids or nephews, or you might have neighbors, or you might just have know somebody who has those, those people in their lives. Right, right. And uh, you know, one of the things is, you know, millennials typically do like to share our opinions. So if you create an environment for us to come share, we might. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. It's been a great conversation. We want to help you any way we can. Thinkburlap.com is where you can get a hold of us. Chris Abel is one of our content providers and also helps uh, field questions from churches and leaders. And, and uh, I would also uh, just love the privilege of helping you any way that I can. So thinkburlap.com. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Until next time, we'll see you later.